Attention! This makes absolutely no sense. Ladies and gentlemen, this is Sanders Facts. Sanders Facts, what is happening, y'all? Welcome in to the latest edition of the Xander's Facts Podcast. I am, of course, the aforementioned Xander. We are kicking it on episode 39 of the podcast here on Wednesday, October 27th. Happy Halloween, everybody, even though you're probably listening to this before Halloween. Happy early Halloween, because it's finally here, and we're almost to November. How about that? Thank you all for coming on and listening to the podcast this week, and remember... If you like the Xander's Facts podcast, if you like all the facts that we've spewed in these last 38 episodes or so, remember, click that follow button, download button, rate button, review button, all those buttons, and then go on your all your social media buttons, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all those. Xander's Facts podcast, go follow Xander with a Z, and most importantly, remember to tell all your friends, spread the facts, Xander's Facts podcast. And remember, if you haven't listened to any of our past episodes, you might want to go do that because the NBA season has started. We just did our two-part NBA season preview. That was last week and the week prior. Go and listen to that. We had Hillbilly on. This week, it's solo Xander, but we got a ton to talk about this week. Diving back deep into politics. We're back into politics this week Ugh. with a big important topic that is right around the corner. We're going to talk about that. But first, I got some football picks to get to you. So let's do it. It's going to be week nine in college football this week. But first, let's start with what happened back in week eight. We had some midweek football action on Wednesday of last week. Coastal Carolina and Appalachian State in the Sun Belt, the Fun Belt, Appalachian State. The Mountaineers got a last second field goal to beat Coastal Carolina and give them their first loss of the season. And by the way, in the Sun Belt, there was some news off the field with the Sun Belt recently because the conference added, or they're expected to add, according to reports, Marshall, Southern Mississippi, and Old Dominion from Conference USA, as well as JMU, James Madison, from the FCS. And this came after the American Athletic Conference also picked six teams from the Conference USA to join the American in Charlotte, Florida Atlantic, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA. And this was after the Big 12 announced that they were adding Houston, Cincinnati, and UCF from the American Conference, as well as BYU, who's currently an independent in football. So that only leaves Conference USA with five members, which means they are in trouble. They might have to dissolve, or they might have to add some members from FCS. We'll see what happens there. But back to football. On Saturday, we had a couple of close contests. I said it wasn't going to be that great of a college football week, and it kind of wasn't, but there were some good games. Iowa State upset previously undefeated Oklahoma State, as Xander told you they would. How about that? Of course, Oregon also held on at the Rose Bowl against UCLA, a game that Xander incorrectly predicted. However, the craziest game of the weekend involved Illinois and Penn State. Those two teams went to nine, nine overtimes with Illinois coming out on top 20 to 18. Yes, they went to nine overtimes and they scored a combined 38 points. The offense in that game was brutal. It was the longest game in FBS history and both teams did not score any points from the third 
through the seventh overtimes. Of course, by then, they can only go for two-point conversions. They don't even do downs or whatnot to get in the end zone. They just go for two. But still, the offenses were terrible. And Illinois upset Penn State. Elsewhere, Cincinnati only beat Navy by seven points. Oklahoma was shut out in the first half against Kansas, but they still beat them. Don't worry, 35-23. Ole Miss beat LSU 31-17. Notre Dame held up USC 31-16. And Wake Forest dropped 70 points on Army, who scored 56. How about that? It's true. And Pittsburgh was able to beat Clemson 27-17. San Diego State beat Air Force on the road 20-14, and NC State was upset by Miami 31-30. And Texas A&M, Michigan, Ohio State, and Alabama were all able to easily defeat the teams they played. And also, Wisconsin was able to beat Purdue 30-13. And last week, I incorrectly said that Purdue had a bye week. And that was not the case. They actually played. So I apologize for that. You dummy. That game's not going to count on my record because I didn't even pick it. I didn't even know they were playing. But the rest of them, I went 13-5 and on my picks last week, which is okay. I did not get the Air Force-San Diego State game, Penn State loss, NC State loss, UCLA loss, Coastal Carolina loss. That's still 72%, and that bumps the early record up to 113 wins, 43 losses, That's a 72% winning percentage, which is pretty good. So let's go to week nine now. And Georgia starts us off in week nine, the number one team in the country. They head down to Jacksonville for their annual matchup with Florida at 3.30 on CBS. Georgia returns from a bye, and the Gators of Florida have disappointed at times this year, and they will be no match for the Georgia Bulldogs. Georgia's going to win. Cincinnati takes on Tulane in New Orleans, and Cincinnati survived a scare last week against Navy, but this one should not be close. Tulane is 1-6 on the year. Cincinnati should win. That game is noon on ESPN2. Alabama moves up to third. They take a bye week after beating Tennessee, and they host LSU next week. Oklahoma is fourth. They host Texas Tech, who just fired their coach on Monday. That game is 3.30 on ABC. Oklahoma returns home after having troubles with Kansas last week. And I think the way Oklahoma's played, they're probably going to lose at some point in the next few weeks. Whoops. But I think they'll beat Texas Tech, who just, as I said, fired their coach. So clearly they're not doing too well. Ohio State hosts Penn State. Ooh, what a rivalry game. And it would have been a top 10 game if Penn State had lost Illinois. What are you implying? But nevertheless... That game is 7.30 on ABC. It's Saturday Night Football. Ohio State had no trouble with Indiana last week. And, of course, Penn State lost Illinois. Buckeyes will win in a rivalry game at home and in the game of the week. This one's a top 10 game. As I said, might want to watch this game. I said this last week. This week, you're going to go to watch this game at noon on Fox. Michigan is 6. Michigan State is 8 in the country. This game in East Lansing, Michigan State hosts it. It's the game of the week, bringing the top teams in the state of Michigan. Both teams are 7-0, and and Michigan State had a bye week last week to prepare. But I still think that Michigan, John Arbaugh, is going to win the game. I think Michigan's going to win. That is a huge game. That's where college game day is going to be this week. And at 3.30 on Fox, Oregon, who beat UCLA in Pasadena, barely. They host Colorado this week. I think the Ducks should easily beat Colorado. Iowa is ninth. 
and they head to Madison to take on Wisconsin at noon on ESPN. Iowa returns from a week off, and they travel on the road to Wisconsin, and Iowa's offense has some serious questions, as shown in the loss to Purdue, but they should have enough to beat Wisconsin. Another top 25 matchup right here. Ole Miss is 10th. They head on the road to take on Auburn, who is 18th at 7 o'clock on ESPN. That's a top 25 matchup. Ole Miss is coming off a win against LSU. Auburn's coming off a bye week, but I think Ole Miss has more talent and should win the game. North Carolina heads to South Bend to take on the 11th ranked Fighting Irish Notre Dame at 7.30 on NBC. And remember, Carolina was a top 10 preseason team. They are 4-3 and three right now. They're struggling. Yikes! However, Notre Dame's got a lot of questions, even though they just beat USC. So, upset alert! Carolina's going to beat Notre Dame. How about that? Kentucky is 12th in the country. They head to Stark Vegas down in Mississippi to take on Mississippi State at 7 o'clock on the SEC Network. Kentucky returns from a bye and heads down on the road. I will take the air raid offense and Mississippi State, another upset to win the game. Wake Forest coming off 70 points against Army. Welcome Duke to Winston-Salem at 4 o'clock on the ACC Network at a game where Wake Forest probably won't have to score 70 points to win. Wake Forest is going to win. Texas A&M is 14th after they beat South Carolina last week. They take a bye week, and next week, they host Auburn. How about that? Oklahoma State just lost their first game of the season to Iowa State, but they return home and take on Kansas at 7 o'clock on FS1. Oklahoma State's going to win the game their 15th. Baylor is 16th, and they host Texas at noon on ABC, and Baylor keeps climbing in the pole, and now they host Texas. Texas is better than their record. They're 4-3. and three. They're better than that. But at home, I will take Baylor to win the game. Pittsburgh is 6-1. and one. At noon on the ACC Network, they host Miami, who just got a big win against NC State, but Pitt was able to beat Clemson. Clemson's down, but that's still a big win for Pittsburgh. Pitt's offense is one of the best in the country. I gave you that stat last week about their offensive points per game. It's crazy. And Kenny Pickett, their quarterback, is a name you might want to watch in the Heisman race. Who? I will take Pittsburgh at home. SMU is undefeated at 19th. They head on the road to Houston at 7 o'clock on ESPN2. Houston is 6-1, and and they're a tough team. So I'll take Houston in the upset. SMU will not be undefeated after this week. Fresno State heads to San Diego State, who's 21st in the country and 7-0 at 10.30 on the CBS Sports Network. San Diego State passed Air Force last week, but they get another tough test with Fresno State this week. I think San Diego State's going to be another undefeated team following this week. I got Fresno State. Iowa State moves into the poll at 22nd, and they head to Morgantown to take on West Virginia at 2 on ESPN+. The Cyclones are back in the poll. But now they head east. It should be a close one, but I got Iowa State winning it late. UTSA, the Roadrunners of Texas San Antonio are 23rd of the poll, and they beat Louisiana Tech last week. They take a bye week. They head to the University of Texas El Paso next week. Coastal Carolina moves down to 24th after their first loss of the season. They host Troy on Thursday at 7.30 on ESPN2. I think Coastal Carolina will get back to rolling. They're going to win the game. And BYU is back in the poll at 25th. They host Virginia at 10.15 on ESPN2. And Virginia, 
Their head coach, Bronco Mendenhall, is the former head coach at BYU. How about that? Really? This should be a decent game as both teams are 6-2, and two, their records. But I will give the advantage to BYU. That game is 10-15 ESPN2. That's late for Virginia. So I'll take BYU. Those are the games in college football this week. And actually, one note, this is the last week that we're going to use the rankings in the AP poll. Because next week, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee is going to release the first of six weekly rankings on Tuesday, November 2nd at 7 o'clock on ESPN. You want to watch that? We'll use those rankings for next week and moving forward here in college football. So that's college football. That's what we've got for you this week. NFL is coming up later, but first... Here we go! Switching gears. Let's move on to politics because, ladies and gentlemen, it is election season once again here in the United States of America, and we got a couple races going on across the country. It's 2021. It's an off year. So there's not many races, but there are a couple. Like in New Jersey, where they're holding elections for governor and their state legislature. And in New York City, they're holding the race for their mayor this year. Yet one state is being looked at across the country as a bellwether for the upcoming 2022 midterms and how President Biden is perceived across the country. What state is that, you ask? Well, you're wrong because it's a Commonwealth! Virginia! Sanders home. That's my line. This year. The Commonwealth of Virginia is also holding their governor's race, their gubernatorial race, as well as elections for the House of Delegates, which is the lower house of the state's General Assembly. And these races in Virginia are being looked at closely across the country for a couple of reasons. One, Virginia has held their gubernatorial election the year after the presidential election, every time since the Civil War. It's a fact. So they've historically been looked at as an early referendum on the current president's administration. And two, the polls are showing a tight race between the two candidates, which makes the race intriguing. So let's go. Let's do a deep dive here on this year's Virginia's governor's race, who the candidates are, where they stand on the issues, and what this race could mean for the president, for Democrats, for Republicans nationwide. Here it comes. Let's talk about it right here. The Virginia governor's race, Sanders facts. So first, let's meet the candidates. Who's running? Well, first, the Democrat running is Terry McAuliffe. And he was previously the governor of Virginia from 2014 to 2018. And the election he won in in 2013 was significant because he was the first candidate of the sitting president's party Elected governor in Virginia since 1973. That's a fact! However, he only served one term as governor because Virginia does not allow governors to serve consecutive terms. Before he was governor, however, he served as the co-chairman of President Clinton's 1996 re-election campaign. He was the chair of the DNC from 2001 to 2005. He was co-chair of Hillary Clinton's 2008 presidential campaign, and he unsuccessfully ran for the Democratic nomination for governor in Virginia back in 2009. He lost in the primary. During his four years as governor, McAuliffe vetoed a record 120 bills that were passed by the Republican-led legislature. Many of them had to do with issues such as voting rights, the environment, abortion rights, and LGBTQ plus rights. During his term, unemployment fell from 5.7% to 3.3% in Virginia, while personal income 
rose by an average of 14%. Quick facts! During his term, McAuliffe restored voting rights for 173,000 released felons. That is the most by any governor in U.S. history, and under his watch, Virginia collected more than $20 billion in new capital investment. That was the most at the time in Virginia's history. And he was also governor when the right-wing crazy people rally happened in Charlottesville back in 2017. Remember those good people on both sides? Yeah. They weren't good people! After he left office, there were a ton of rumors that he was seriously contemplating a run for president in 2020, but he ultimately decided against it, and he was a political analyst on CNN for a little bit, but he announced his campaign for a second term for governor on December 8th, 2020. He won the Democratic nomination with 62% of the vote in a five-person race. So that's the Democrat, Terry McAuliffe. He's the Republican! His name is Glenn Youngkin. This is Youngkin's first foray into politics as he spent 25 years at the Carlyle Group, which is a private equity firm that specializes in private equity, real assets, and private credit. He worked his way up to the position of co-CEO of that group by 2018 and resigned from his position in September of 2020. And then he announced his run for governor in January of 2021. And he won the Republican nomination by defeating several other candidates in the ranked choice voting convention, which I think we mentioned on this podcast was a complete mess because they thought they were going to have it at one place and that place said no. So they had it in a ton of other places. It was a mess. but. He was elected, and he's the Republican nominee. So, those are the candidates. But what's been going on in this election? So, the main topics that have been mentioned throughout this election have really been education, election integrity, the current Democratic administrations in Richmond and D.C., and, of course, ya boy, Donnie boy! You! The former President, those have all been big topics, but let's talk about education because as has been going on throughout the country, Virginia has also been dealing with a bunch of contentious school board meetings over the last several months with many parents who apparently seemingly have lots of time on their hands to go and berate educators who are angry about cultural issues such as critical race theory. And by the way, before you get angry and say, Sarah, you just said critical race theory. Go back to episode 24 from July of this podcast to learn about critical race theory if you don't know what it is. Because you might not, and you might just be blah, but critical race theory is terrible. And then someone asks you, what is it? And you're like, I don't know, but it's terrible. Go learn, because you're going to go learn what it is, episode 24. So if you haven't listened to that, stop the podcast right now. Go and listen to episode 24, Critical Fact Theory of this podcast. Anyway. Enlightening the masses. This is really part of the conservative culture wars that have been ignited across the country. In fact, several school board meetings in Virginia have featured individuals who don't even live in the districts where they are whining or have children at the schools of the school board meetings where they are yelling, who are screaming at school board members and teachers about who knows what, some BS about Trump's still president. So, Election integrity is another big one, as there are still several Republicans who have not accepted that Joe Biden legitimately won the 2020 election. Those include Republican state senator in Virginia, you may know her name as Trump and Heels, Amanda Chase, who lost in a bid for the Republican nomination in this race. She suggested during the primary 
that Trump should declare martial law in order to stay in power and was censured by the Virginia Senate. Uh. That was dumb. Before the convention, Youngkin also did not acknowledge that Joe Biden legitimately won the election. But now, after the convention, he says that he did legitimately win. Ah, how about that? However, Youngkin has now called for an an audit of the upcoming election before any votes have even been counted. Awful. Huh. Yeah. Very original. Who does that remind you of? So, another topic has been the current Democrats in power in both D.C. and in Richmond. Let's start in Richmond. The current governor of Virginia is a Democrat, Ralph Northam, and he's enjoyed a positive approval rating for most of his term, including currently, according to recent polling, and he has approved several items that are approved by a majority of Virginia voters, according to polling, such as... Big fact incoming! Decriminalizing the possession of marijuana, expanding access to voting, raising the minimum wage, abolishing the death penalty, which, by the way, if you get angry at that, it's more expensive for the state to execute an individual than to have them sit in prison for the rest of their lives. Look it up, it's true. Another fact! And if you worry about overcrowding in prisons now because we got all these people, maybe... We should release all the nonviolent individuals who have been charged for a marijuana possession because it's no longer a crime, so why are they in jail? Why should they be in jail in the first place? Huh. Anyway, Northam also banned conversion therapy. He passed gun background checks for private gun sales along with several gun control measures. He banned racial discrimination based on hair and removed a mandatory ultrasound requirement for abortion access. All of those measures, all of those that I just mentioned, are favorable to the majority of voters in Virginia. It's a fact. Also, Northam served as McAuliffe's lieutenant governor while McAuliffe was governor. However, Northam also had that yearbook incident. Remember that, where he was either wearing the blackface or the Klan hood, which was kind of bad. That was terrible. But if that makes you not want to vote for him or Terry then you probably shouldn't have voted for someone who was banging Stormy Daniels while his wife was having a baby. You know what I'm saying? Donnie boy? No. Okay. Stinger. So, moving to Washington. The current Biden administration has also been a topic because approval ratings for Democrats in Washington have been going down in recent months. And that's most likely due to the inability to get any major legislation passed in the recent months. However, that may change. As Democrats are reportedly close to a deal to pass the bipartisan infrastructure bill as well as the Build Back Better spending bill in the Congress. Remember when I detailed all those bills? Apparently the bipartisan infrastructure bill is going to stay as it is, but that spending bill that was $3.5 trillion, apparently that's going to be less than $2 trillion now. Good to know. That's just a whole mess. So they're going to cut some stuff from that because apparently Joe Manchin likes coal and doesn't think that the earth is dying. I don't know. We'll see. But if a deal is made by the end of the week or by next week. It could be big news for Democrats here in the Virginia race, but I do have serious doubts that anyone isn't going to vote for McAuliffe or is going to vote for Yunkin because Democrats in D.C. have not been able to pass their infrastructure bills yet. I don't see it, but we'll see. And of course, the former president, you know, Donnie Boy, he has been a hot topic in this race as well, in a state that voted for Biden last year by 10 points, Yunkin has tried to distance himself from Trump recently, while McAuliffe is trying to jam the two at the hip, literally. Of course, it probably didn't help when Trump endorsed Yunkin, and then Yunkin, in an interview in July, said this. Take a listen. 
I'm curious to know uh, your thoughts about Donald Trump. Do you welcome his support? Uh, would you want his involvement in your statewide race in Virginia? Well, I was honored to receive his endorsement. Uh, um, um, the early morning uh, after I was nominated as the Republican candidate for governor, I was honored. And President Trump represents so much of, of why I'm running. You hate to see it. So, yeah, Youngkin is definitely Trump's candidate. Trump is all in for him, even though he hasn't come to Virginia to campaign with him. And even as Youngkin tries to distance himself from the former guy, those words are always going to be there. Just saying. He hasn't taken that back either, by the way, just to let you know. So, Trump, Youngkin, intertwined. Just saying. Disgusting! Several other issues have been mentioned as well, including abortion rights, which have been a hot topic with the recent Texas law being seen as a potential motivator for Democrats. And McAuliffe has repeatedly stated that he's going to protect the right to an abortion in Virginia, while Youngkin has been silent recently, even as he stated during the primaries that he would be an opponent of abortion. In fact, he was caught on a hot mic back in July when he was the nominee, saying that he would have to limit his comments about abortion during the campaign to not alienate swing and suburban voters in Virginia. Jeez. So yeah, of course, Youngkin has been unusually coy on his policy positions. He doesn't really want to tell you where he is on a lot of things. The policy page of his campaign website was only created a few weeks ago, and it's got a lot of vague terms, just to let you know if you haven't looked. And while McAuliffe has said he supports mandates for the COVID-19 vaccine, Youngkin has said he does not, even though he does support the vaccine and has gotten the vaccine. In addition, McAuliffe has pledged to raise the minimum wage to $15 an hour and get Virginia to 100% clean energy by 2035. That's cool. While Youngkin, in his television and digital ads, has been attacking past McAuliffe decisions and trying to relate to the average person by showing his basketball skills and shopping at a supermarket, which I doubt he's done in quite some time. His net worth is over $300 million. Although he did play basketball in college at Rice. So gotta give a little respect there. But I don't care about that. That's not gonna make me vote for you, okay? Fight me. But both candidates are gonna have a hard time getting their agenda passed unless they have the Virginia legislature controlled by their party. The House of Delegates, as I mentioned, is also up for grabs in this election, and Democrats currently hold the majority. However, there are several swing races across the state that could give the majority back to the Republicans. And the Democrats won the House in 2019, as well as the state Senate, which gave them the majority in both chambers of the Virginia General Assembly for the first time in a quarter century. And that's how all those things passed that I mentioned earlier that happened under Governor Northam. True that. But what do the polls say about this race? I said it was a tight race, and it is, according to the polls. Right now, according to the 538 average of all polls, McAuliffe only leads by 1.9% as of Monday. And earlier polls back in the summer and early fall showed McAuliffe with a healthier lead. But the race has tightened in the last few weeks and months. According to the polls, there's also been, there hasn't been that much polling as well. It's starting to ramp up, though. So we'll see. However, let's take a look back at the last governor's race, which was 2017. Then, 538's average of polls for the Virginia governor's race 
showed the Democratic nominee, who was at the time Ralph Northam, ahead by only 3% on Election Day. In that race, Northam also had healthier leads earlier in the fall and in the summer in the averages as well. And yet, Northam won the race over the Republican Ed Gillespie by 8.9%. So, we'll see. It'll be interesting to see what transpires because the polling in Virginia's elections has not been that great recently. Like in 2014, in the Senate race we had here with Mark Warner, he was projected to win by several points. He won by less than a percentage point in 2014 in that Senate race. So the polling has not been very good here recently in Virginia. So we'll see what happens. But there are also national implications on this race. As I mentioned earlier, on the national stage, a Republican win or even a slim win for the Democrats could embolden Republicans ahead of the midterms in a state that has not voted for a Republican statewide since 2009. But on the other hand, if the Democrats get a comfortable win, that could relax fears by the Democrats ahead of the midterms in which they control the Congress and the White House. Historically, the midterms have not been too kind for the party in power. 2018, Republicans, it was a blue wave. 2010 was a blue, a red wave for Republicans in Obama's first midterms. So historically, the first midterms for the president's party have not been so good. But we'll see, as this could give us some semblance of what we might see next year. But Democrats have recognized this, and they have brought in many national figures over the last couple of weeks to the Commonwealth, including President Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris, First Lady Jill Biden, the chair of the Democratic National Committee, Jamie Harrison, who ran for the Senate in South Carolina last year, Stacey Abrams, who ran for governor in Georgia in 2018 and was a big part of helping Democrats take the Senate by winning those two seats in the Senate in Georgia last year, and several other national Democratic figures have gone down to the Commonwealth in the last few days and weeks to campaign for the Democrats on the ticket. Included in that list is former President Barack Obama, who is still popular nationwide, and especially in Virginia, where he won twice and in 2008 became the first Democrat to win Virginia in a presidential election since 1964, Lyndon B. Johnson. That was a fact. And he held a rally for McAuliffe in Richmond, the capital of Virginia, on Saturday. And during that rally, I think he did a good job basically summing things up about Yunkin and his coyness on positions and how that can relate nationally. So here's a two-minute clip of what some of Obama said on Saturday. Take a listen. Yeah, the guy, the guy can hoop. That's great. I'm less convinced that the co-CEO of one of the largest private equity firms in the world spends his time washing dishes and going grocery shopping. But who knows? Maybe. But, I, I, I mean, you do notice that, like, whenever uh, a wealthy person runs for office, they are, always want to show you what a regular guy they are. But that's okay. But when your supporters hold a rally, where they pledge allegiance to a flag that was flown at the insurrection at the Capitol on January 6th, they the, the, the biggest threat to our democracy in my lifetime, when you don't separate yourselves from them, 
when you, when you don't think that's a problem, well, you know what? That's a problem. You, you, you can't run ads telling me you're a regular old hoops-playing, dishwashing, fleece-wearing guy, but quietly cultivate support from those who seek to tear down our democracy. Either he actually believes in the same conspiracy theories that resulted in a mob, or he doesn't believe it, but he's willing to go along with it, to say or do anything to get elected. And maybe that's worse. Because, because, because that says something about character. And character will end up showing when you actually are in office. What are you willing to stand up for? When are you willing to say no to your own supporters? When are you willing to say there's some things that are more important than getting elected and maybe American democracy is one of those things? Yeah, election integrity and Yunkin intentionally playing coy in many policies might be a little dangerous, wouldn't you say? So remember, we saw this play out in California just over a month ago. Democrats were worried about a lack of enthusiasm for their governor, Democrat Gavin Newsom, and the polls showed a tight race in that recall election. And then Democrats from all across the country came out and Newsom won the race by nearly 24%, which was the same amount he won by in the 2018 race where he won in California for governor. Of course, by the end of that race, the polls began to give Newsom a healthier lead, and we haven't seen that yet for McAuliffe, but we'll see if he gets a boost with all these national Democratic politicians coming over to Virginia. So, in review, in overview, watch what happens over the next week in Virginia, because it's definitely an important race, even if you don't live in Virginia, even if you live anywhere in the United States. It's an important race, as it is every four years, as Virginians are some of the first to have statewide races after the presidential election. And while I do have to admit that another four years of Terry McAuliffe is not much to get excited about for Democrats. But once again, you really got to look at what's on the other side. There's a reason that Glenn Youngkin is being so coy and resistant about his policy positions and his support for Donnie Boy. And it's basically all an appeal to get as many votes as possible, especially from the suburbs, as he can. And then when he gets elected, turn his back on him and swing hard to the right when he gets elected. And also in Virginia, the lieutenant governor and attorney general positions are also up for election this year. For the Democrats, State House Delegate Hala Ayala is the nominee for lieutenant governor and current attorney general Mark Herring is running for his third consecutive term in the position. For the Republicans, their nominee for lieutenant governor is former State House Delegate Winsome Sears, and the nominee for attorney general is State House Delegate Jason Meares. So, could I see Yunkin getting elected? I guess, sure. I guess he could. There's a one in a thousand chance, I guess. Do I think it's likely? No, I do not. Too many facts. I think it's extremely likely that Terry McAuliffe wins. And I'm going to go and say, I hope he does. Plus, it would be extremely embarrassing for Democrats to send their top guns down to Virginia 
and then lose. They wouldn't have this big push if they thought they were going to lose. They know what's going to happen. President Obama does not come down for a race for just anything. There is a reason he is known as one of the best campaigners we have seen in a long time. The man knows how to rile up a crowd. You remember that 2008 election? I was young then. What a time to be alive. But a lot of people were excited about Obama. He will get people to turn out to vote. And that's what Democrats are hoping will happen here in Virginia because there seems to be an enthusiasm gap. Democrats are getting apathetic. They don't, uh, Trump, he's not there anymore. Terry, I don't know. We'll see what happens. But if you live in Virginia and haven't yet, you gotta vote! Morning, morning! Vote early. Vote on Election Day, which is this Tuesday, November 2nd. Or maybe you've already voted, like I have. And good for you, but just know this. If you live in Virginia or anywhere that has elections next week, do not sit them out. Every single election is important. I know here in Virginia there are a bunch of local elections, too, that are extremely important. Vote! Everyone needs to vote! You might have local elections in wherever you are across the country. Figure it out! Vote! Election Day is Tuesday, November 2nd, and you can vote early here in, like, Virginia, too. So, please, go do that. Go vote. And that's what I got for politics this week. Terry! We'll see. That race is over Tuesday. This Tuesday, November 2nd, that is election day. And finally, all the campaign ads will stop because here in Virginia, it is insane. Every other commercial is a campaign ad. It's ridiculous. But that's what I got for politics this week. And before we go... Let's finish up our football picks with the NFL. Ugh. And let's start by recapping what happened last week in week seven of the NFL, which began on Thursday night football with the Browns and the Broncos. The Browns had their backups in at quarterback and running back, but they still won 17 to 14. And then on Sunday, there weren't many close games. In fact, the average margin of victory in the Sunday afternoon games was 20.8 points. Fat! Meaning there were some rough ones out there, like the Bucks, who beat the Bears by 33, the Bengals beat the Ravens by 24, the Patriots beat the Jets by 41, and the Titans scored 27 points in their game with Kansas City. Kansas City only scored three points. How about that? And then elsewhere, the Giants were able to beat the Panthers 25-3, the Rams survived an early Lions lead, the Rams won 28-19, and the Cardinals beat the Texans 31-5 to remain undefeated. The Falcons beat the Dolphins on a last-second field goal 30-28. The Raiders beat the Eagles by 11, and the Packers beat the Washington football team, of course, by 14 points. And then on Sunday night, in a game, I guess it was in like a bomb cyclone or something, because it was raining a ton. There were lots of drop balls. There are a couple fumbles by both teams, and it was a close game throughout until the Colts got a touchdown with less than three minutes to play to take their lead to 12 points, and that is how much they won by against the 49ers in San Francisco. And then on Monday night, both the Saints and the Seahawks had some troubles on offense, but New Orleans was able to get some key stops late on defense to win 13-10. 
to 10. So that was what happened in the NFL last week. I went 9-4 and four on my picks, which is okay. 69%, that's nice. Bumps up the early record to 70 and 37. That's 65% of games picked correctly by yours truly. So let's go to week 8 now in the NFL. And it starts with the best matchup of the week. How about that? On Thursday Night Football, the 6-1 and one Green Bay Packers. Aaron Rodgers, the Packers, who have won six straight, are heading to Arizona to take on the league's only remaining undefeated team Thursday night, 820 on Fox and NFL Network. But the Packers appear to have lost star wide receiver Devontae Adams due to COVID protocols, which could be a deciding factor in a close game. So with that, I will pick Arizona to remain undefeated. How about that? Zaders facts. Moving on to Sunday. The Panthers take on the Falcons at 1 o'clock on Fox, and since starting the season 3-0, the Panthers have lost their last four games. I'll say make it five, as they will lose to Atlanta, who is finally starting to use their first-round pick, tight end Kyle Pitts, to his full potential in these last few games. Miami heads to Buffalo to take on the Bills in an AFC East matchup at 1 o'clock on CBS. The Bills hope to get back on track after a loss to Tennessee two weeks ago. They come off a bye last week. They should beat Miami, who was struggling, easily. The 49ers head to Chicago to take on the Bears at 1 o'clock on Fox. Things just have not been working out for the 49ers this year. They just lost to the Colts at home. However, I do think they'll get a chance to redeem themselves against Chicago. San Francisco will win the game. The Browns take on the Steelers in Cleveland at 1 o'clock on CBS. AFC North showdown. And Cleveland still may not have Baker Mayfield as their quarterback. He got injured. He still may be out. But I still think they'll beat Pittsburgh at home. Also, 1 o'clock on Fox, the Eagles take on the Lions, who are still without a win this season. The Eagles are 2-5, and five, but I think that they're better than the record on offense. Defense, I don't know. They gave up 33 points last week to Las Vegas. I do think, though, that their offense is going to get them over the Lions in this game. The Titans head to Indianapolis to take on the Colts at 1 o'clock on CBS in an AFC South matchup. The Colts got a nice win last week against the 49ers, while the Titans held the Chiefs to three points in their win last week. Tennessee's starting to get on a roll, so I will say they will win in Indy. The Bengals, who got a big win against Baltimore last week, go to New York to take on the Jets at 1 o'clock on CBS. People are starting to figure out Cincinnati might be for real. I think they'll easily beat the Jets, who just traded for Joe Flacco to be their quarterback because their rookie quarterback just got injured. Man, that was rough. The Rams head to Houston to take on the Texans at 1 o'clock on Fox this week. The Rams had some troubles last week with Detroit, and now they face another bottom-tier team in Houston. The smart play is to pick Los Angeles, and I think I'm smart, even though I might not be, so I will say Los Angeles wins the game. The other Los Angeles team is at home this week. They take on the Patriots at 4.05 on CBS. The Chargers were on a bye last week. They face the Patriots now this week at home. New England scored 54 points last week against the Jets, but they played the Jets. And this is one of those games where the Chargers need to show that they're for real. They just lost to Baltimore two weeks ago. They're 4-2. and two. I think they will, though. I think the Chargers are going to win the game. Also at 4.05 on CBS, the Seahawks are at home taking on Jacksonville. The Seahawks offense just has not looked very good without Russell Wilson. But 
would they really lose to Jacksonville? It might be close, but I will say Seattle wins, even though that game might be a little ugly. At 425, game of the week has the Bucks and Tom Brady, who just became the first NFL quarterback in history to pass for over 600 touchdowns. He passed that mark last week against the Bears. It's true! The Bucks head to New Orleans to take on the Saints at 425 on Fox. I think the Bucks offense is going to be the deciding factor in a win over the Saints. And the other 425 game on Fox is the Washington football team heading to Denver to take on the Broncos. And the Broncos are in a similar position as the Panthers, as I mentioned earlier. They've lost their last four games after starting the season 3-0. Even on the road, I think that Washington... I don't know what to say this, but I think Washington's going to win the game. Might bite me in the butt. Quit whining. And then on Sunday Night Football, the Cowboys head to Minnesota to take on the Vikings. Both of these teams were on a bye last week. They returned to face each other at 820 on NBC in Minneapolis on Sunday night, and this could be a high-scoring shootout. They've both got good offenses, but I do like Dallas's offense a little more, so I will pick the Cowboys to win. And then on Monday night, to end the week, it's the Giants heading to Kansas City to take on the Chiefs at 8.15 on ESPN. There is seriously something going on with Kansas City. They may not have been as lucky as they've been the last few years. Something might be going on with Patrick Mahomes. His family's a mess. Is the defense just that bad? It could be all those things. But they're facing the Giants at home. So I think they'll get back on track. I think they'll win. The Chiefs will win Monday Night Football 8.15 on ESPN. And the two teams on a bye this week are the Raiders and the Ravens. Both those teams are 5-2 and two so far this season. So that's the NFL, and that's the podcast this week. Xander's Facts, thank you all for listening. We did our football picks, and I broke down everything you need to know about the upcoming Virginia governor's election, which is this Tuesday. So once again, if you live in Virginia and you haven't voted, you need to go do that. Because if you don't vote, Xander's going to get very angry with you, just to let you know. People, listen up. And coming up next week is episode 40 of the podcast, The Big 4-0. We have got our college basketball season preview coming up next week. You will not want to miss that because Xander, as you all know, has got all the facts in college basketball. If you remember from our March Madness picks last year, I'm just saying. What do you say? Go back. College basketball season preview is next week on episode 40 of this podcast. And hopefully by then we'll have the results of the Virginia governor's election so we can talk about that as well. Thank you all for listening to the podcast this week, episode 39. And remember, if you liked all the facts I just spewed, then remember, click that follow button, download, rate, review, all those buttons. Then Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Xander's Facts, social medias. Xander with a Z, and remember, tell all your friends about the podcast. Spread the facts, Xander's Facts podcast. Tell everyone you know, everyone you see about the Xander's Facts podcast. And remember, if you need anything Xander's Facts related, go click that link tree link that is in the episode description to find everything Xander's Facts that you need. So that is it. That is a wrap on episode 39 of the Xander's Facts podcast. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see y'all with episode 40 next week.
Why would you do this to me?